You're welcome to listen to this edition of Title Unboxed, but I would also encourage you to watch it on our YouTube channel to really get the full visual effect as we discuss and show the history of various pieces of boxing equipment. In this edition of Title Unboxed, we're going to dive into equipment history again. We're going to talk about where the gear came from, how it came about, and how it has impacted the industry. Hopefully I can provide some insights and create some interest in understanding our boxing past in order to better our boxing future. So let's continue by covering various types of protective equipment, starting with headgear. While still an up-and-comer in 1917, which was actually two years before he would win the heavyweight title from Jess Willard, Jack Dempsey called on a local sporting goods manufacturer and its owner, Jacob Gallum, to construct a protective headgear that would stand up to more than 15 rounds of intense sparring. Although the company had only made swimwear up to that time, they were able to construct a durable and long-lasting headgear for Dempsey and subsequently many fighters after that. Like gloves, which we've talked about previously, headgear was initially developed to add protection and training and wasn't really intended to be used in any sort of competition. It looked very much like this one here. It was constructed of a good thick leather, which is why this one is probably still in such good condition. But as you can see, other than around the ears, it really lacked any padding at all. The fact is, it was intended to prevent cuts and alleviate bruising more than it was meant to reduce impact or absorb shock of any sort. Again, it wasn't really intended to be used for competition in the future. Of course, more current designs feature a greater amount of padding, thicker and softer foams, along with greater cheek, chin, and nose protection. Today, sparring headgear, like this one, are typically constructed with multi-layer padding systems, uh, more advanced foam combinations, and even shock-absorbing materials like gel and air-infused foam. They're meant to limit the amount of direct contact made with the nose, eyebrows, forehead, cheeks, and in some instances, the chin. It's mostly about preventing cosmetic and subsurface damage. Then there's amateur headgear, like this, which uses an open cell and closed cell combinations. It helps disperse impact and also lessen the power of the punches taken. This headgear is designed in a similar fashion to sparring ones, but a little more streamlined in size and features additional padding. You know, in the end, the goal of all headgear in the game today should be focused on alleviating any type of head injury, whether that's cosmetic or traumatic. We just simply can't do enough or work hard enough to make this a focus to protect athletes in any era. So since we're talking about protection, let's get into some insights on the invention of the mouthpiece. Although fighters may have used rudimentary mouth protection out of any number of materials earlier, the first known use of modern day mouth protection occurred in the late 1800s. Wolf Krauss, an English dentist, used gouda percha to create strips that could be placed between a fighter's upper and lower teeth to prevent direct bone-on-bone -bone contact. What gouda percha was, was a substance that was common in the dental industry at the time and was made from tree sap. So I'm sure you can imagine the rubbery consistency of that. The mouth guard's evolution, however, is attributed to London dentist Jack Marles when he transformed those simple strips of tree sap into a molded, reusable mouth guard that fighters could even customize. Even though it existed, the implementation of the boxing mouth guard into regulated bouts didn't come about until Ted Kid Lewis entered the boxing world. As a friend of Marl's, Lewis had a rubber mouth guard created to help protect him from reoccurring injuries to his cheeks and gums. Lewis used the first version of this mouth guard in 1921 in a championship fight against Jack Britton. 
And they caught on after that and have since become standard in most sports. But boxing certainly led the way. Today, we're using advanced rubber materials and technologically advanced construction. Most mouthpieces you see are designed to create the ideal separation between the jaw and the base of the skull to reduce impact and shock. You know, it goes way beyond just protecting your cheeks, teeth, and gums, but that's a whole other topic we probably will come back to in a later podcast. So working our way from the head on down, that now brings us to the groin protector. In the late 20s, the first groin protector was introduced, and it was called a Taylor. It was named after a Brooklyn shoe sole manufacturer, James P. Taylor. Funny enough, his invention didn't even really catch on initially. People just didn't get it. That was until the results of the Max Schmeling versus Jack Sharkey fight in June of 1930. That eventful fight ended in a disqualification. Sharkey lost due to a controversial low blow that left Schmeling on the canvas and the United States suddenly had a German heavyweight champion. As you can imagine, that fact didn't set well with the American boxing purists at the time. So following that bout, the no-foul rules were introduced and Taylor's no-foul protector was adopted across the entire United States. Original groin protectors like those were basically elastic jock straps with plastic inserts that help protect your junk. They did little more than provide just very basic coverage. If you go back, you can see early images of Joe Lewis, Henry Armstrong, and others suiting up in these types of below-the-belt guards. Obviously, groin protectors are much more comfortable and effective today, but funny enough, they haven't really changed all that much in terms of looks. You know, we've added a leather covering and more foam padding without a lot more bulk. And here's an image of one from the 1940s. And today's version looks more like this. So modern groin protectors provide more complete coverage all around, all around your hip area, and they're made of more lightweight and hard plastics. They contain more advanced closed cell foams and feature additional hip protection. They don't look too much different, but they're certainly more colorful and provide greater protection. So that's it. That's the history of protective boxing equipment in a nutshell. No pun intended. Thank you for watching this episode of Title Unboxed. If you're anything like me, you can never get too much boxing. So if you'd like to watch more episodes, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our Title Boxing YouTube page.